And today we're going to talk about freedom that lasts. Freedom that lasts. Interesting that when you think about the, the countries that are the freest in the world, where does the U.S. rank? You ever looked at some of these studies here? Now, this could be relative. We have to be careful when we talk about that because when somebody says, what does it mean to have a free country? Some can talk about personal freedoms. We have freedom of, of, of speech, different freedom of press, all that stuff, to economic freedoms as well, that you have freedom to own your own property, freedom to do different things economically. So, so when we talk about this, it could be relative. But where does the U.S. rank among the freest countries in the world? Uh, what do you guys think? What do you think is the freest country in the world? Iceland. I don't even know if anyone lives there. Anybody else? <laughs> what do you think is the freest country? Anybody got a... Norway. Norway. Finland. Sweden. Rank up there in the top. The Netherlands. Uruguay. And Canada. Rank up, believe it or not, in the top. Paraguay? I don't know where they are. But in the bottom... The bottom. Who do you think is in the bottom of the least freest? Russia. China. North Korea. Syria. Venezuela. Interesting. Um, Iraq, and you could name other ones that are probably in that as well. Uh, U.S. ranks, some, you know, it's different. You could read different things. U.S. ranks 52nd in the world. Um, in between Slovakia and Belize as one of the freest countries in the world. And remember, this is relative because it talks about different things, economic freedom and, and both personal freedoms. Interesting, in Argentina, you want to know where they are on a map because that's God's country. You look at that and uh, you look at personal freedoms, Argentina's pretty high. Economic freedom, they're very low just because of inflation and everything that's going on. Uh, interesting if you study some countries that used to be free that are no longer free. Um, somewhere in Zimbabwe would close down their, the internet, shut it down completely. Uh, talk about not having freedom of speech. They shut it down completely. Um, other countries. Interesting right here um, as we uh, signed the papers for soccer camp and we rent uh, those. We don't rent them, but we asked to use the, uh, the uh, fields right next to us in the elementary school. Two years ago, I had a form that I had to fill out with uh, just simple questions on why we want to use it. This year, there was some intrusive, invasive questions about what we believe and what we hold to and what are we going to do on those fields. Two years later, what is it going to be two years from now? <laughs> you ever think about that, of the questions that we're going to have to ask on whether or not we can even use their fields? Um, just amazing, and, and, and it goes on and on. Uh, Bible colleges, um, with the Equality Act going on now, we were sitting down with a Bible college uh, president, and he said to me, not if, but when the U.S. forces us to put this, when they do, then we're going to have to face these things. He's expecting it to happen at any moment. Um, when they start to put the Equality Act right on the Bible colleges as well. And so that's the country, and we, we thank the Lord, but let me just tell you this. We are free no matter what happens here. Do you really believe that? 
We are free no matter what happens here. Not just talking about political freedom. We may not have that. We may not have economic freedom here. And we may not have some other things, but we are free because true spiritual freedom comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, look at these verses here in John 8. It talks about you will know the truth and the truth will make you what? Free. So the Bible frees when we understand the scriptures, when we understand the truth about the Son of God, when we understand what it means to live for God, that truth will set us free. And not only that, he says here in John 8, 36, if the Son makes you free, you are free, what? Indeed. But here's the question. How come there's so many believers that live trapped in their sin? I mean, they have Christ and they say, I've come to the truth and I've accepted Jesus Christ. I have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I should be free. But yet, on the practical side, I live trapped in my sins every day of my life. How can I escape that? And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that it's not just some magic wand that God puts over you the moment you get saved and all of a sudden you're never going to struggle with sin again. There are steps we need to take. We need to, what, rid ourselves of old habits. Too many people stay right there. But that's not the Christian life. We are not only to rid ourselves of the old man, we are to renew the spirit of our minds. We are to allow the scriptures, to absorb the scriptures and in prayer, allow God to renew the spirit of our minds. And then what do we do? We replace those old habits with new godly habits. So when does a liar stop being a liar? When he quits lying. No, not when he quits lying. When he starts telling the truth. Because he's not only put off the old man, he's renewed his mind and now put on the new man. He's replaced that old lying tongue with the tongue that tells the truth. When does somebody who can't control their anger become someone with controlled anger? When they replace sinful anger with righteous anger. We talked about that two weeks ago. And then when does a thief stop becoming a thief? Not when he stops stealing, but when he starts to give to others. When he starts to work and to do what is right with his hands. And not only stops stealing, but gives to others. Today we're going to talk about two things that we all struggle with. Our tongues... In our bitterness. This is a powerful passage. It's amazing the things that we can do with our tongues to really hurt one another. Look at, look at what it says here as we get into uh, point four here. Replace hurtful words with helpful words. Look what it says here. Let no, and what's the word there? Unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And really that word unwholesome is an interesting word in the Greek. It's, it's sarpras. It's, it means corrupt. It speaks of rotten fruit. I love bananas. I mean, I absolutely love bananas. But you know what drives me bananas about bananas? You buy a banana on Monday, and if you don't eat the dumb thing by Thursday, it rots. And there is nothing worse. You've been there. You, you peel it, you're ready to eat it, and it's all brown and smell. You're like, ah, I can't eat that. Or someone gives you a peach. You like peaches? And you, you take a nice little bite, and it's all rotten and all that. Those things don't do anything for you. It's a rotten fruit. 
even used of a rotten fish. I knew I didn't like fish, and this is the verse to prove it. Rotten fish, because fish are rotten. Amen? Amen. Now, what amen here? Huh? You guys are a rough crowd here. But really what it's speaking about is words that tear down people but don't help them. Words that corrupt character. Isn't it amazing that Hitler's words corrupted a nation? Somebody says words don't do anything. Oh, they don't? Look at what the Bible says here about words. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. There's one who just speaks without thinking, says things that without thinking and really hurts people. I've been there more than I like to be. I remember my friend Nimit one time was looking to get married to this girl that she had a lot of money, her family. He had no money. He had really no job at the time. And he asked the father if he could marry the daughter and the father said yes. So we're at the gas station and the song comes on. Even though we ain't got money, I'm so in love with you, honey. I said, this could be the song you sing at your wedding. <laughs> that ripped him to shreds. How in the world can you say that to me? I remember one time saying to a girl, what are you, deaf? And she was. Our tongues are sharp. You guys have some testimonies? We'll be here all day. Huh? Looking at me, how can a pastor do all this? You guys do it too. The thrust of the sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Look at this verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Wasn't it amazing that that Michelle Carter, remember her? And she was telling her boyfriend, just kill yourself. Kill yourself. Do it. Kill yourself. Stop being a wimp. Kill yourself. And he did. And they arrested her for saying those words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They can really, and here's where it's dangerous now. We live in a digital world. It's easier for us to be bold through a text message. It's easy for us to be bold on social media. It's easy for us to hurt people. There's more ways. They used to say back when I was in school, remember those days back, you know, two centuries ago? When I was in school... That when somebody would bully you in school, you would go home and that was the end of it. Today, it's not the end of it. They go home, they watch it on social media, they receive text message, they can't get away from it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So the question is, how can I use my tongue to encourage one another? Well, look at what the verse says. Let's go to this verse. Turning hurtful words into helpful words. Here it is. It's a wonderful verse. Consider the problem. Look at the verse. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that's good for edification according to the need. There's the key. According to the need of the moment. There are some people in the moment, they need encouragement and comfort. If they're hurting, a word of encouragement or comfort. Some people need direction. It's exciting how Ellie's trying to choose schools and, and she needs direction. And where we were this week, there were all different schools represented and all this. And somebody asked me, are you going to decide for her? I said, no, we're going to let her decide. She needs direction. But then at the end, she's going to make the decision according to the need. Some people need a rebuke. Amen. Now, what amen? <laughs> they may not like a rebuke. 
but they need it. And really understanding the need of the moment will change what we say to them. Sometimes there's people really hurting and we rebuke them. That's not the time to rebuke them. There's some people who need a rebuke and we try to comfort them and give. That's not the time to try to comfort them. There's some people who need direction and we just stay silent and say nothing. No, that's not the time to stay silent and say nothing. According to their needs, so we consider the very problem. Look at the next thing in this verse. We consider the process. This is amazing. So that it will give what to them? Grace. So this means three things here. This means we have to understand that there is a time to speak and a time to keep quiet. There is a right time to say something and there is a wrong time to say it. I like how one pastor's wife would say she would never say anything to the pastor, her husband, about the sermon until Monday. She let him come home, eat a meal, relax, get a good night's sleep. Then Monday morning when he got up, boom, got him. No, not like that. But she knew the timing. She knew when he walked through the door, it wasn't the moment to ask, how was your day? How They just wait. Look him in the eye. Welcome home. Thank you for coming home. What do you want to eat? Wait till they sit down. They say that the average woman and man have different amount of words. Average woman uses uh, 20,000 words a day, something like that. An average man, 10,000 words. The problem is she doesn't use the 20,000 until he comes home. All right, be careful. Not, not one amen. Anyway, but <laughs> a lot of conviction over here, isn't it? But there's a time to say something. There's a wrong. We, there's times when we say the right thing, but it's just not the timing. So consider the process. Will this give grace? Will this spiritually benefit this person? Will this help them be all that God wants them to be? Notice the next thing. Truth, turning tr- hurtful words into helpful words. Consider the problem, consider the process, and consider the person. To those who hear, isn't it amazing that there's, everyone is different on how they accept advice or don't accept advice or how they accept advice or how they react to certain things that we say? Everyone is different. And so we have to consider how different they are. Some people you can go up to and you can cut up and tell all kinds of jokes with. Other people, you tell a joke, they look at you, they don't even think they have souls. They tell a joke and they look at you like... <laughs> Some people are so sensitive that you just say, so how was your day? Why did you talk to me like that? <laughs> all I asked was, how was your day? No, you want to know how my day is, so you can, you can give me a sermon afterward. Wait a minute, I just asked how your day was. Some people like to respond to text messages, others don't. Pour your heart out to them, hey, how's your day? You know, I'm going, praying for you and all that, nothing. Others, you, you say, how's your day? You get like a, a letter back, you're like, wow, wait, unbelievable. People are all different, amen? And so we need to know them. And figure out, how do I talk to this one? My kids are all different. I know if I talk to Ellie the same way I talk to Johnny, I talk to Joshua, they all react differently. Katie reacted differently when she was a kid. My father-in-law would tell her, if we just looked at her, she'd start crying. She knew. Some, Joshua doesn't doesn't want to give any testimonies. He needed a little bit more than a look. (laughs) This is Italian for get right. (laughs) 
<laughs> People need different things. You need to consider the person because they're all different. And look at this verse, verse 30. I never really picked this up until I studied this passage. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why is that put right after, watch your mouth? Because really what it's saying here is when we speak and we say things that are not pleasing to God, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Here's the encouraging thing about it. The Holy Spirit enables us to speak words that will be of benefit to other people. We need the Holy Spirit. And some people say, well, you know what? I don't know how to control my tongue. But really the control of the tongue starts with the control of the heart. Asking the Lord to help your heart, to help your mind. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it's a heart issue. So we need to take every thought captive to Christ. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to speak the words that he wants us to speak. Look at this verse here. We sang it today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my what? Heart. They go together. And when our heart is right, guess what? Our words will be right too. When God gets a hold of our hearts, we're not going to say the things that don't please Him. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed until the day of redemption. Now let's look at the next thing here. Replace those hurtful words with helpful words. Now look at the next one. This is the real. Replace bitterness with what? Forgiveness. Now, this is convicting. Let all, doesn't say some, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, now watch this. What is bitterness? Does anyone ever tell you what bitterness is? Here's what bitterness is. Bitterness is what we feel when, when someone sins against us, whether real or imagined. Let me give you two examples. Real, we're going through uh, buying another house here in the area. We're going through it. So the uh, appraiser came and he came and saw our house. And instead of giving us the appraisal and what it was, he went on vacation for a week. So now all week I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm ready to rip the guy's head off in the name of Christ, of course. And, <laughs> and then witness to him afterwards. <laughs> Thinking, how can this guy, how unprofessional can a guy be, you know, to come and, 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 and give an appraisal and go on vacation for a week and make me wait till afterwards? And I'm thinking this in my mind and my heart. That's the real thing. Now the imaginary thing. He went on vacation just to spite me. <laughs> he knows I'm anxious. He knows I want to know. He's doing this just to hurt me, my family, other people. This guy is terrible. There is no way he's saved. And all of a sudden, I got all this imaginary things going through my mind. That is bitterness. It's a hurt. And here's the thing about bitterness. The closer we are to the person, the more bitter we get. So here's where it's a danger. Bitterness is a danger in our own families. Do wives get bitter at their husbands? You better believe it. Do husbands get bitter at their wives? You better believe it. Do children get bitter at their parents? Yes. Do parents get bitter at their children? Yes. The closer we are together, the more the bitterness is in our hearts. It's incredible. 
Church families, they get bitter at one another because they're close. School roommates, people who live together, they get bitter at one another. The closer we are, if some child in some other family does something, that doesn't bother me. But if my kid does it, that hurts. Bitterness comes. And bitterness, there's ways we deal with bitterness. It is so dangerous. Look at this verse here. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. Here's what the problem with bitterness. It's a root. You don't always see the root, but you see the fruit of it. And there are people, you could just see it on their faces. They're bitter people. They are mad at the world. They're mad at the lives they had. They're upset. They think they got a raw deal and this and that. And they are bitter as can be. And the root is there. And here's how they deal with it. Here's how we deal with it. Look at these two ways the world tells you to deal with it. Spit it up. Tell everybody about the appraiser. Get it out of your mouth. Get it. Spit it up. Make other people sick about it. Spit up your bitterness. Just spit it up on everyone else. They just all they do is talk about their bitterness, how they got a raw deal, how to, and all they do is talk about it. Then you got the other people who keep it in, and they make themselves sick. They start throwing up. Their their health goes down the tubes, physically goes down the tubes. Because they are bitter people. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it when somebody has hurt me and I've held it in and it just grabs my stomach, my stomach starts up, and I start puking. That's crazy to think about. Keep it in and you make yourself sick. Somebody said bitterness is like drinking poison hoping your, your enemy dies. You hold it in. You spit it up. You keep it in. What does God say? How are we supposed to? Well, let's go back to the verse. What happens when we get bitter? All of a sudden, wrath. There's anger there. There's, there, there, there's, there's anger and clamor. Those wrath speak of passion. The clamor speaks of screaming and yelling at one another. Slander. You start to speak evil of people. And then you start to do things you never imagined you would do. All forms of malice and all kinds of things. I've seen families do things to each other I can't believe. One I heard of just recently, a good Christian girl wouldn't talk to her father seven years. Seven years. One I remember when my own father was dying and I called my uncle and said, your, your brother's dying, he's on his deathbed. No, he said, I'm not going to go see him. It's your brother. I said, just so you know, you've been warned. He came, I praise God, he did come an hour later and he did come and see his brother. I've seen families, I've seen friends not talk to each other because they're so bitter. Church members not respond to one another or argue with one another because they are bitter people. This carries on all over and hurt one another. So how are we supposed to respond? Look what the verse says here. It says, this is God's way to handle bitterness. We ought to be kind. That, that speaks of attacking evil with good. 
It means do good to one. I tell people, if you have somebody who's mad at you or bitter at them, well, when it's their birthday, send them a card. Wish them happy birthday. Tell them that you're praying for them. Share with them that you care for them. Let them know that you're there for them. That's the next word there, tenderhearted. You have empathy for them. You have compassion for them. And then look at this next one. Uh-oh, we don't like this one. Forgive them. Well, you don't understand how they hurt me. I don't. You're right. But God does. And let me share this story with you. Who knows Louis Zamperini? Anybody know the great Italian? Amen. Jesse, I knew you were walking with God. Anybody else know <laughs> Louis Zamperini? I love this guy. I love this guy. This guy is incredible. He's with the Lord now. They call him the Torrance Tornado. Started smoking at five years old. Five years old, started smoking. Started drinking. His family was from Italy. They came over to New York. I mean, where else are you going to go? Then they moved to California. He didn't speak any English as he was growing up. And then he went to California and they started to pick on him and all that. So he would beat people up. You don't mess with Italians, amen? He would beat people up. I mean, he would go after them and get them and, and all this. So the family can't control him. So they send him to church. They would give him a dime. Back then, a dime. Chama, you remember. That was a lot of money. Back then, a dime was a lot of money. They would give him a dime to go to church. You know what he would do? He would take the dime, go into the church, go down into the basement, escape out of a window, and go to the amusement park and use the dime. This guy was incredible. They said, we got we to get in control of him. We got to do something. So we're going to make him run. We're going to make him run. And so he joined the track team. And he can't run. Why? Because the guy smokes and drinks all the time. He's smoking. He's five years old. He's ready to drop dead on the track. So he says, you know what? His brother goes, if you want to really run, you need to stop smoking and drinking. So he did. And he started. He broke records. He tried out for the Olympics in 1936. He made it. And he goes off to the Olympics and meets Hitler. <laughs> Hitler couldn't believe how fast this guy ran for the United States. He said, I got I to meet this guy. And met Hitler. 1941, he goes into the draft and he has this rescue mission out and here is Louis uh, Zamperini on the, on this plane here and, um, he's on the plane and the plane crashes into the ocean and three out of the 11 survive and he's one of them and he's on this boat 47 days. 27 days into the boat, um, this was in 1943. Uh, the Japanese plane finds them, starts shooting at them, shoots 48 holes into the raft and doesn't kill them. He gets rescued on the 47th day by who? The enemies, Japan. They figure out they have Torrance Tornado. They got the Olympic runner. And so they put him in POW camps. They, they beat him up. They, they, they throw, he was talking about how they threw a rice ball into there and they made him eat it all the dirt of the rice. He was down to 65 pounds. He explained the guy that he met called the bird. You guys may have heard the bird in World War II, the Japanese man that would torture Americans, cut their heads off. He wouldn't even go into details of what the bird did to him. He went from one POW camp to another POW camp to another POW camp until the war ended and they let him go home. 
He goes home in 1945, September of 1945, and of course he gets this big hero welcome. And he remembers that all throughout that time, he kept making a promise to God. If you get me back to America, if you get me back to America, I will serve you. I will live for you. I will surrender to you. But he gets back to America and he has PTSD, wouldn't you? And how does he deal with it? Alcohol. And he said it got so bad at night that he would have these nightmares of strangling the bird. And killing the bird that one night he got up and he was strangling his wife. Thinking she was the bird. The wife says, I, gotta, I can't stay with you. I got to leave you. I got to divorce you. You're a violent man. You're a wicked man. I cannot be with you. And who comes into the area? Billy Graham. Listen to this. This is amazing. Billy Graham comes into the area and the wife says, I'm going to the Billy Graham so she goes to Billy Graham's sermon. She gets saved. She comes back and says, you know what? I'm not going to divorce you now because I'm saved. I'm going to stay with you. But he said, now all her and her Christian friends came after me. I said, I ran from, I didn't want nothing to do with him. And then one day he finally said, you know what? Billy Graham came back into the air. He says, I'm going to go to Billy Graham's campaign. He went, he got saved. And in 1950, listen to this, he decides to go back to Japan and forgive all the people that beat him up. And he wrote a letter to the bird who would not meet with him and said, I forgive you. He said, you want to know what happened? I never had a nightmare again. I was waking up every night wanting to strangle the bird. And when I released it and forgave him, I never had a nightmare again. And he was telling a story in like 1990, and it was 1949, last time he had a nightmare. He said, 1949, I've never had a nightmare again. You tell me who was that? It was God. You say, well, how do I get rid of this bitterness, this hurt in my heart? You forgive, you release it. Because look what the verse says, just as God in Christ has also, what? Forgiven you. He's released everything that we've ever done. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be a PowerPoint of our sins. He's not going to say, who's next? Jeremy? All right, put it up. Look what he did. He's not going to mention them at all. That is amazing to think about. They are all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You read Micah, it says that he throws them into the depths of the sea. You read the Psalms, it says as far as the east is from the west. You read Hebrews, it says, I will remember your sins no more. That's how God has forgiven us. And so instead of holding on to those hurts and that bitterness and all that, we are to release it. I'll never forget, we were in Argentina and I told the guy, you're not my friend. And after I told him that, he got so hurt and so bitter, he would scream at me and yell at me and really get mad at me. And I would hold on to that. And I'm in the airport of all things. And I'm reading where Jesus says, love your enemies, love your enemies. And I understand that. But then the guy says, what does love your enemies mean? He took us to 1 Corinthians 13. And one of the characteristics of love is love keeps no records of what? Wrong. 
And I thought, I am not loving my enemy because I am thinking about what he has done to me every day of my life. And with tears in my eyes, I said, Lord, I release it. I forgive. I don't want to think about what they've done wrong to me. I'm so glad God is like that. I'm so glad that in Christ, the moment we come to Jesus Christ and put our faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, all our sins are released. So the question here today for us is, is there someone in your life you need to forgive? Bitterness is that root that comes and spreads and destroys lives. Destroys churches, destroys families, destroys friends. Be kind, be compassionate, and release it. And allow God to do it. Let's take a moment and pray. Give us a moment here just by ourselves before the Lord. Maybe there's someone in your life right now that you're holding on to. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a good friend. Just take a moment in your heart, right where you are before the Lord, and say, God, I recognize this person has hurt me, but I'm willing to release it right now before you. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. I want to do the same. Father, I thank you so much for this powerful, powerful passage of Scripture that reminds us of how much we need you for our sanctification. So easy to use our words to hurt others and rip them and tear them down. It's so hard to use our words to comfort them, encourage them, and give them grace. So God, I pray that right now, before you, we surrender our hearts and our tongues to you. Father, how easy it is for us to hold on to hurts, whether they're real or imagined, and become bitter people. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace and the strength to release those hurts and put them into your hands. Just as you have in Christ forgiven us. You released all of them, past, present, and future. There were no skeletons in the closet. You knew it all, Lord. And yet, you, you promised not to remember them anymore. It doesn't mean you forget them. You just don't hold on to them. You don't hold them against us. You could, but you don't. All because of your Son. 
who died on the cross for us, who died for our bitterness and sins. Lord, I thank You so much that the Holy Spirit is in our lives guiding us and directing us in ways that only He can. So Father, we ask You to continue to work in lives. Help us to be transparent with one another. And help us, Lord, to continue to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We lift up this day to You, God. And we say, here we are. Use us. For we pray this in Jesus' precious name and for His glory. Amen. Amen.